0: Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are welcoming back a return guest, an old friend of the pod. He is an award-winning book reviewer and the editor of Chess Life magazine, of course known as a chess bibliophile. Um, I think he's managing to keep up with the chess books despite his role of uh, putting out Chess Life magazine every month. He's also a dad an improver, a four-time guest of the pod, nipping at Greg Shahadi and Kostya Kavutsky and Christopher Shabri and the other frequent guests. And we have a few other repeat guests coming your way, um, great authors and uh, world championship previews and stuff like that coming up. Um, so we're going to welcome back some old friends, starting with uh, John Hartman. John, what's new? Hey, Ben. Uh, anything interesting happened in the past 18 months? Well, I had to call an emergency podcast because I couldn't find the October edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. So that's uh, uh, yeah, the so, big uh, news in the chess world.
2: So sometimes uh, people, uh, people are hard to, uh, hard to pin down for, for re- recording, especially when they're very busy. So uh, we took a month off in October, but at the moment, I am scheduled to record our November uh, Cover Story podcast on Monday with Alex Lenderman.
0: Okay. So, uh,
2: yeah, our November issue features uh, Alex's, uh, his story of his U.S. Open. uh, And, uh, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Good analysis. And I'll be interested to talk to him, especially coming off his, uh, his really good performance at the U.S. Championship.
0: Yeah. Shout out to Alex. I know it seems like he's been working hard at his chess, and it's nice to see him still, still grinding and it'll be good to hear, to read about it and hear him on the podcast. Um, yeah. And obviously I didn't think it was the host's uh, mistake that, that there was n- no cover stories. Uh, I
2: I think you can attribute, uh, a good chunk of the blame to me.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> very, very kind of you to fall on the sword. Um, but, uh, the first topic I wanted to talk about with you, John, uh, first of all, I should direct listeners to our prior um, interviews. We had one sort of at the the dawn of the pandemic last year was our most recent interview, which I'll, I'll link to in the show description. And, you know, you described some uh, I mean, first of all, you were kind of new to the editor Chess Life role. And you also caught uh, arrived at a critical moment for U.S. chess as all tournaments um were suddenly shut down, which was obviously a major revenue stream. So I was hoping to get sort of an update on your role and uh, US Chess generally. You can do whichever you want first, John. Um,
2: well, I, I guess let's start with US Chess because, yeah, I, I um, last June, I mean, a big, big chunk of me talking on the show was sort of trying to make the case for why to renew your membership. Um, you know, US Chess is a 501c3, but we are uh, funded quite a bit by our, uh, you know, by our members, by the the dollars they pay to become US Chess members to have the right to have an official rating, to uh, to receive Chess Life or Chess Life Kids. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty scary time, <laughs> as I think, you know, uh, scary for everybody, but especially scary for a for a nonprofit who's suddenly seeing tournaments not happening anymore. Um. Our membership before the pandemic was in the high 90,000s. In fact, uh, at the 2019 U.S. Open, we were talking about running some sort of special promotion to reward the 100,000th person who became a U.S. chess member. And then the bottom fell out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think when we did bottom out, I think we ended up with somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 members. So we're talking about, a you know, half of our revenue stream gone within a matter of months and it was scary. Um, it was very scary, but because of decisions that were made by the executive board over the years, over the past, you know, over the past number of years, uh, we had a rainy day fund to be ready for times when it rained and boy, did it rain, uh, between that, between some, you know, decisions about, um, you know, tightening our belts and, you know, for example, with chess life, we cut our page count and things like that. Um, between those sorts of decisions and, and the, really the critical PPP, uh, PPP, loans from the government, from the U S government, um, U S chess survived. And right now we're seeing our membership begin to turn back up. The last number I saw, was somewhere in the mid 60,000s. So like 63,000, 64,000, uh, which is a, a nice uptick from, uh, now, you know, now that tournaments are coming back and things like that. Um, you know, I am very, very, uh, happy about how we weathered the storm. And I think we've got good things to look to coming in the future.
0: Great to hear. Yeah. Obviously, um, You know, you hear a lot anecdotally about good turnouts at uh, tournaments here in the U.S. So hopefully um, it it might even produce a sort of um, more vibrant membership where uh, more people are playing actively and hopefully stick with it for a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that the finances are looking better. Obviously, um, we had the big donation from John Rockefeller. Shout out to John Rockefeller seeding additional tournaments, and I'm sure uh, that that doesn't hurt either. So glad to hear that that all is well on the USCF front. And what about the uh, editing Chess Life magazine front, John?
2: Well, I, there, there was one part of that I do want to talk about because um, you know certainly the Rockefeller uh, the Rockefeller donation. Is is huge for for the history of US Chess. For those who are unaware, uh, John Rockefeller, who is um, he's he's one of I mean He's a chess guy, which is really what I appreciate uh, appreciate about this. Um, you know, he's a Scholastic director in Maryland. Uh, he, he's he's on the Scholastic committee for US Chess. Uh, he has endowed some of our national invitational tournaments that are part of the the sort of US Open landscape, uh, and they're creating some new ones as part of it. So, what I think that's a really good example of is is something that US chess saw during this time period is that um, donations have have really not only helped us, you know, weather the storm, but have grown. Uh, people are donating, and and I think I think there's two reasons for that. I think people are seeing the work that U.S chess is trying to do. You know, growing chess, uh, I mean, Jen Chihadi, all her work with with women in chess and girls in chess, um, the expansion we've done with online chess, uh, you know, of course, uh, the the return of over-the-board chess and our, our place in that landscape, I think people are seeing the value we have. And and in, in particular, you know, uh, <laughs> when you go through an experience like a pandemic, I, I think, you know, when, when I think we're up to like, you know, three quarters of a million Americans have died at this point. It, it's we've all gone through something, and it's I think for a lot of us, it's helped us reorder the things that are important in our lives. People see that you know, chess as a hobby, as as a pastime, as an educational tool. People see the value of that, and I think when they see the value of that, they want to be a part of making it grow. And the 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 donations have been I mean, astonishing. Uh, I, I can't say enough thank yous to the, to the John Rockefellers of the world, but also to the people who were sending in, you know, $500 donations. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, that helps us grow. It, it's, it's, it's been so rewarding and gratifying to see that and, and really, and to be a part of it, I, I you know, I I couldn't be happier.
0: That's good to hear. So, what what's on the agenda? I mean, obviously, you guys weathered a storm, so you might not be in the like expanding capex (laughs) point of the cycle. I'm not sure, but like, what are the the big projects that U.S. Chess wants to tackle, John?
2: Well, you know, I I think right now we the big thing that's coming up is the K twelve the the Great Nationals, which will be in Orlando in December. Um, And then the sort of return of our full slate of scholastics in the spring, which I I think is going to be great to see. Uh, As you said, you know, tournament numbers have been up everywhere. Uh, The national open was huge. The U S open was, was tremendous. You know, lots and lots of people came to New Jersey for that. Um, So, you know, getting these big tournaments back is one thing. Uh, I think we've learned quite a bit about, our place in the online world, uh, both in terms of running online tournaments. So we, you know, organizers now have the ability to run official U.S. chess rated online events where people can get a online rating that is uh, cross-platform. So, you know, if, you, if you're playing tournaments on Lee Chess or on Chess.com or ChessClub.com, uh, you know, the rating that you get there it will be good for any of those things. Uh, we made some mistakes at the beginning. Some of the, the the first scholastics we tried to run, uh, they were just too big for the infrastructure we had at the time. But we learned from that, and uh, the these scholastics that we ran later were much more successful. I think. You know, I mean, we we made mistakes, but um, I think that's been a big area of growth. And you know, uh, certainly as Chess Life editor, I have learned an awful lot. <laughs> um, you know, not just about the nuts and bolts of it about, you know, how the sausage gets made, but, but about putting together magazines that I think people want to read uh, and, and, and giving our, our readers a, you know, a, a vibrant attractive piece of mail that they get every month that they they can enjoy. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah. like I mean, like everybody I've learned uh, about me, about, you know, what I, what's important to me, you know, it, it's, it's God, I mean, don't you feel that way, Ben, that like, this is, as, as awful as this has been, it's been a good chance for reflection.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been a big shakeup in my professional and family life and yeah, it definitely, uh, re, you know, recenters your, your priorities for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, interesting times. Hopefully, hopefully we're moving <laughs> past them though. I um,
2: cannot wait to get my booster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so chess life, we should talk about chess life because, uh, I am actually for the first time in 18 months, I'm getting a short break. <laughs> I don't have to work next week. I am super excited about this. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. We, we just put the December issue to bed. We sent it to the printer and we have to do that a little bit early because, uh, I don't think it's going to happen because of some ongoing issues with us, with the us postal service, and some uh, some backups with the printer, but you know our goal is to get this issue in people's hands by Thanksgiving because it's got the annual sales catalog from US Chess sales bundled with it. Um, so yes, yeah, so we had to get that to the printer early, and now I get some time off, which is nice. Uh, yeah, Chess Light, I mean, I think anyone who takes a look at the magazine right now, and you know, uh, US Chess members, every US Chess member can read it online for free. With our current membership structure, uh, any U.S. Chess member can pay a what amounts to like a $10 surcharge to have the magazine mailed to them every month. Um, which I still think, you know, when, when you figure in the membership fee for adults, it's $45 for the year, plus $9.45, I think, to receive the print magazine. If you compare that to, let's say, New in Chess or to American Chess Magazine, um, I, I think we're offering great value. For the dollar, we're half the price and you get double the issues, which is kind of nice. Um, but we're putting out a really pretty magazine, too. We've got a new art director, Corey Kennedy. Every issue, he just blows my mind. Um, you know, for people who saw the, uh, the July issue with uh, John Donaldson on the cover, uh, he directed this photo shoot with John Donaldson at the Mechanics Institute in San Francisco. And just iconic photography. In, this, in that story. Uh, and then for our December issue, which people should get probably around December 1st, maybe a little bit later, uh, we've got a piece by Mike Klein, which is one of the most thoughtful, um, pensive pieces about chess and, and age and growing and uh, improvement. Um, and we got some art for that which is just so absolutely beautiful. I, I can't, I, I put it in the center of the magazine because it's so beautiful. It's not the cover story, but it's what you open to when you, when you open the magazine, I'm so excited for people to see this.
0: Cool. Rumors are swirling that uh, Mike Klein will be heard from on perpetual chess during the world championship. So shout, ah. shout, out, shout out to Mike. Um,
2: we'll have to send you a, a preview of his piece, which is uh, called different wavelengths. Okay. Uh, it it, it is. um, I think next year when the Chess Journalists of America meet, I think this is going to be winning awards. It's it's that good.
0: Excellent. Um, Cool. Well, I, I mean, lots to look forward to. It sounds like you're you're figuring stuff out. So was there anything with Chess Life magazine that you excised? I mean, I don't want you to, like, put anyone on blast necessarily, but how do you get a sense of, like, what readers maybe like what what? Tastes have evolved. Let's put it that way. Um,
2: I think so. It, it's funny. If you look back at Chess Life from like the mid 90s, there are 10 or 12 regular columns or departments. You know, um, we have reduced that. Some of that is by people's choice. Well, I mean, all of it really is ultimately by people's choice. Um, you know, like Lev Albert's column, Back to Basics. Uh, Lev decided to retire his column and we have not replaced it as of yet. Uh, Daniel Naroditsky's uh, inheritance of Hal Benko's uh, Endgame column, that is no longer in the magazine, largely because, you know, Danya decided that that it just was not uh, something that he could commit as much time to. Uh, those columns I would like to see come back in some shape or form. I have some ideas about who I would like to take them over. We haven't done it yet just because of the finances and because right now, um, you know, due to printing paper shortages and, and still coming out of the pandemic and the pandemic finances, we're still at 60 pages. And in the past we've been, usually been anywhere from 68 to 72. So we just don't have as many pages right now, uh, you know, to print on as I would like. Uh, that said, you know, I, I feel like adding Karsten Hansen's tactics column has been a very popular thing. I get a lot of good feedback about that from, you know, internally and externally, we'll put it that way. Um, I think pieces like Sam Shankland on the world cup.
0: That was great. Yeah.
2: You know, I, (laughs) I, I think that's one of my favorite things that we've printed so far it's because it's not only him doing really sort of high level analysis, but it's also him in his typically Frank, no nonsense way, letting you know exactly why he did things, um, what his thought process was, and, and, you know, and, and being brutally Frank about where he thinks he came up short. Um, It's just raw and honest. And I love it.
0: I mean, I always enjoy chess life, but continue to enjoy it. And as, as you mentioned, the, the Sam Shanklin pieces in particular, um, I've uh I he has a a unique style that I I always enjoy reading but John we want to talk about chess books um you're you know from your from your humble beginnings an expert of chess books and I think somehow I don't know how you still managed to read some but before before we dive in John we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by Chessmood.com. Chessmood was founded in 2018 by Grandmaster Avchek Gregorian. It's a chess education platform that gives you a structured path to work to improve your chess. For $29 a month, you get instant access to over 200 hours of Grandmaster-prepared video content and includes openings, middle games, and end games. They also have an active online community where you can find training partners and fellow chess enthusiasts. Uh, Don't forget to check out their free content. They have a great blog where their grandmasters share uh, their own thoughts on chess improvement. I get it delivered to my inbox. So to learn more about uh, chess mood and what they offer, be sure to check out their website, chessmood.com.
1: 18 plus.
0: And we are back. So, John, let's start with, uh, with the truth. Um, how much are you able to read now as compared to when it was your job, when your primary uh, role with US Chess was to review books? Uh,
2: not as much. It's, th- there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one is the simple fact that I don't get as many Review copies showing up on my door as I once did. Um, today, the the books go to John Watson, who is our book reviewer, uh, my good friend and mentor, John Watson, and uh, I think he's doing an excellent job. Uh, I you know uh, he's, he's uh, his December column. I think uh, it's about uh, Deveretsky's, the, the the fast track edition of Deveretsky's Endgame manual. Um, and he's got a lot of thoughts about uh, Endgame primers, which books to look at. And and how to place this in the endgame landscape. So um, that was really useful for me to read as well. It actually made me rethink what I want to do in terms of my own improvement plan,
0: which we'll get to.
2: Yes, or lack thereof. Uh, <laughs> um, I try to keep up with the chess books, not only because you know it's a it's an interest, but I'm am a collector. I mean, I I collect chess books. That's one of my things. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm buying them. I'm, I'm reading them as I can. It's, it's certainly not as focused to read. My, my takes are a little more impressionistic than they were. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny being the editor of a chess periodical has really changed the way that I look at chess books. Um, being, you know, responsible for putting together material for a wide wide range of audience has changed the way i look at chess books. and in, in what i'm about to say, i'm sure that a lot of listeners are going to say so what. <laughs> these are not my concerns. um i just want to read interesting things and i don't care about the things john is talking about. and and that's okay. i mean that's you know, um that's a perfectly legitimate viewpoint on chess literature and the sort of chess publishing landscape. But I got to tell you, Ben, I'm not really that excited about the chess books I'm seeing. Um, I'm kind of troubled by some of it. And, And I think part of it has to do with a change in the chess publishing landscape. I mean, I think publishers are, are struggling to, like traditional publishers, like print publishers are trying to, Figure out how to stay relevant in in a chessable world, in a Twitch world, in a YouTube world. Um, but it's also something where I think people are forgetting how important editing is. There are chess books out there right now that, frankly, if my name was on them, I would be embarrassed. I, I would I would I would be mortified if my name was on some of these books. Um, Because there is no editing going on. There is no value add. Some of them, if you are used to looking at chess base files and seeing how they convert to text files, like in chess base, when you, when you click on a game and do export to whatever, export to text, export to RTF, if you know what that looks like, you can literally see it in these books. Like that is a problem to me. And it should be a problem to anyone who loves chess literature. Like, you know, there are titles out there and I'm hesitant to name names because it's not the author's fault. It's, 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 it's the editor's fault. They did not edit the book. There are style problems on every page. Like, um, you know, how do you represent the number 10? Do you represent it as numerals or do you represent it as a word?
0: I go with the Roman numeral.
2: The rope. ah, the third option. I didn't think of that. That's, that's a very obscure style. I, I will say, <laughs> um, you know, most places will represent one through 10 as numbers. Uh, well, one through nine is number. All right, there. Basically you just have to decide how to do it and then stick to it. There are books out there where I'm finding going back and forth on this on the same page. Okay. So you, I'm looking at your face as we talk here and I can see you're sort of thinking, well, who cares?
0: Well, no, I'm thinking that is absolutely something I would do as a writer, and I would hope that someone would catch it. Um,
2: and and that's the thing is that like the editor should be there to catch it. Um, or you know there are books out there that are clearly not edited by someone who who is a native English speaker. If you're publishing in English, the English should be grammatically correct. It it, it should not have nonsensical phrases. And there are books out there that that's not the case. Uh, there's one book I know, I, I, I know for a fact that the author had to hire their own editor to fix the problems that the in-house editors created. All right, so why is this a problem? Um, you know, I, I'm thinking there's There's a guy on Amazon who is taking old chess books like um, Oiva and Prin's book on Capablanca. And they're translating it using Google Translate, and then they're putting it up on, Google, on on Amazon for sale as a Kindle book. And there are people in the uh, the chess book reviewers, uh, the the chess book collectors group, who 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 are like, "Oh, this is really exciting! Here's a book that's in English, like that, that isn't in English before. It's this famous book, and isn't it nice?" And my response is, "You people deserve better." Like here's somebody who is exerting minimum effort, who is literally running text through a computer and then putting it into Amazon's, you know, ebook format, and then they're selling it to you and you're getting, you're getting a shoddy product and it bothers me. Like, I don't know. I, again, I, I suspect most people here are going to turn this podcast off because it's gotten <laughs> really into a downer. But, you know, um, like I, I think people deserve better literature. I, I
0: really think that. Well, I mean, if we talk big picture, this is a topic that has come up over the pod on the podcast over the years. Like I remember the very the fourth interview uh of perpetual chess that I did, I believe it was with Kostya kavutsky he was saying he was kind of bearish on chess books as a medium and uh his chess dojo compatriot Jesse Cry has been kind of all over that as well even though he's old like us and loves chess books. Um, but he's just saying from the kids he works with, he just doesn't see that much interest in books. And obviously, um, you know, as you mentioned, chessable, uh, is putting out tons of content, a a lot of it excellent. And the, you know, the, um, revenue sharing is better for the creator than chess books are. Um, and the, you have the ability to update it, over time, which a lot of the authors are, are quite active doing. Um, so, I guess what I'm saying, I, I, f- I feel your sadness and I get that, but like it's not that surprising and not that different than like what you hear outside of the, the chess world, in, in my opinion.
2: Well, yeah. And, and a lot of what I've been thinking, honestly, is prompted by this book uh, by a Stanford professor, Mark McGurl where he's talking about the Amazonification of, of fiction Mm -hmm. where, you know, basically his, his, his take is, is that essentially um, fiction has become completely genre driven because of Amazon, because Amazon's trying to sell you things that you want to buy. And, you know, I mean, Chessible is a really interesting example of this as well, because, you know, on the one hand, they very clearly identified a marketing process that works, right? Anish Geary tweeting for them and selling their product apparently is working. Um, and, you know, anecdotally, I'm hearing, you know, top players saying that, that they are seeing the chessable effect in the repertoires of young players. Like, you know, there are young players out there who, who they know play the Nidorf, so they go ahead and check chessable courses on the Nidorf, like the Geary one, to see what they're going to face. That said, does anyone really need 35 hours on the win hour? I mean, does anyone really need 35 hours of video on the win hour? Is that going to help anyone who is not an Ishgiri improve? I don't know. Um, you know, it's, is is the gamification of, of study really that useful? Like, I mean, it's useful to get you to come back to the website, but does that really help somebody improve? I I don't know. And, and so, you know, we're at a place right now where like chess publishing is just, it's, it's turning into whatever is next. And there are great things about that, but. You know, I also worry about that. Like, like Willie Hendricks's book, um, uh, the last one he did about chess history, not the, not the move first, think later, but the.
0: On the origin of good moves.
2: Yeah. Um, now that's a book that doesn't fit the chessable model that well, right. I, it's available on there. Right. But it's not like, this is not a book for the move trainer. Right. Does that book get published five years from now? I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and for me, that's, that's the thing is that we're entering a, a publishing world where opening books get churned out quickly and, and our makers, and, and that's, that's fine. But, you know, are we going to lose something in the process? Like,
0: yeah, I don't know. I don't think that they'll, I don't think they'll disappear. I think that there's still going to be demand for books like that books that don't necessarily translate to openings, because I think it's opening books that are most vulnerable, um, to, uh, to chessable, uh, usurping them. Um, I think, I think, uh, books with broader context, historical context. Um, I, I think, uh, have have a better shelf life and um I mean I don't know I don't know the numbers of how any of these publishers are doing but I mean a company like Quality Chess seems to just be consistently putting out good books original books and I think that a few good companies like that can can still carve and maintain a space sort of independent of any uh move online but it is unfortunately to me a niche future
2: yeah it's you know, it, it it's. I am increasingly aware that I'm a dinosaur. Um, I, I was just, you know, I was, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I'm on Twitter today. Uh, friend of the pod, JJ Lang. Can we say he's friend of the pod? Sure. He's certainly a Twitter Twitterati. Uh, yeah. New Nebraskan. By the way, Nebraska improver. I'm Dalton Improver guest. Nebraska is growing leaps and bounds in chest <laughs> strength. Uh, JJ's just moved here. Uh, there is a FIDE master moving here. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, watch out because Nebraska may not have been, but pretty soon it's going to be like St. Louis, except without Sinkfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's not going to be. Well, like you
0: got that. Warren Buffett, so you just got to get him interested in chess. He only cares about bridge.
2: He, yes. Chess is not on his radar. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, today I was, JJ Lang was, uh, tweeted something about, uh, some student of his and he said, well, uh, Caruana played this move and the students like who? Right. And, and, you know, there is this idea that you should know your chess history, but how are, how is that going to get monetized? I mean, how is that going to be, how is that going to fit into this new YouTube chessable sort of, you know, video?
0: See, I, dis- I disagree there. It's all over. Like, look at Agat Mater's videos, Levy Rosman covers, you know, he's doing recaps of daily events. Like, you know, if some kid doesn't know who Caruana is, that's that's on the kid. There's... I think there's there's broader interest in in the sort of in the chess landscape than ever. I mean, people might lean towards like improving their own games as opposed to um, you know chess culture, but uh, but there there's more interest in chess than ever, and I don't think that's being yeah. I don't think that's being supplanted by um, by a lack of writing about it or anything.
2: I, that that's true. And and part of this, you know, part of this is the landscape sort of shaking itself out with all these new players who have come in, um, who are growing up online, you know, for whom Max Oiva is not only unknown, but possibly irrelevant, um, you know, uh, but it's all, I, I guess we're sort of living through many apocalypse shifts. And, and this yeah. is one of them is that the chess is the, the online influence. Its effects are still being shaken out, and you know, as a lover of of literature, as someone who is worried about legacy, I mean, you know, one of the reasons I love chess life is that a hundred years from now, someone will be able to open that up and read, you know, a nonsense thing I wrote about descriptive notation, or we'll be able to read Sam Shanklin talking about the World Cup, or, um, you know, Robert Fidlerchenko talking about who, by the way, um you should have him on the pod. He's um, that kid is incredibly impressive. Great analyst, great player just made as I am norm. So shout out to Robert. If he's listening, you know, some of the articles he's written for us, they're going to be there. Will, will the YouTube videos. I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe they will, but I mean, is anybody going to watch them? I mean, all right. Nobody's going to be reading chess life anyway, but
0: I, I just don't know. I mean, YouTube chess. YouTube is booming. I don't, I don't know what you're yeah, talking but it's, about, but it's, but it's the churn.
2: I mean, that, for me, that's the thing is that it's, it's, it's one, like the, the, the one thing after another, after another, after another, and then it's, it's ephemeral. It's, you know, um, maybe there are people who go back and watch all the archives on YouTube, but I think most people are just sort of watching the things that go by day by day and they, and then they're gone. And then we don't think about them again.
0: And we're losing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I agree. I think people are searching for specific topics. You know, they get interested in something and they search for it. And then, I mean, yeah, I I think. I mean, YouTube obviously, you're subject to the whims of, of Google owning them. But the algorithm, yeah, yeah. But uh, but other than that, it's, it seems stronger than ever. I mean, there's so many amazing chess YouTubers who who no one's even watching, let alone the ones that that people are watching. There's just So much incredible stuff. So, um, but I mean, but we go ahead. Well,
2: I mean, maybe that's, maybe that just gets into where I'm at a different point in my life. Um, is that, you know, I am, I am sympathetic to the chess improver hashtag. Um, I don't think of myself as such. I, I am a chess amateur. I am someone who loves the game, but is not professional. Or who's not a pro or is not strong enough to call themselves. I mean, that's like li- the literal derivation of the word amateur. Um, I, there, I want there to be a place for that in, in, in the current discourse. And sometimes I worry that the sort of strictly utilitarian approach to, you know, mining YouTube for the Stafford Gambit so I can trick somebody in a blitz game or something like that, that I don't know what that does to chess culture. And, and I'm worried about that like I I want people to want to look at the games of Capablanca not just because they're useful but because they're pretty or you know that that game that uh, Alexander uh, what's his name Pretkey, petkey
0: oh for yesterday yeah the, the, you know, the,
2: this guy the, the this this you know this game in the World cup in the second round of the uh, the uh, the grand Swiss rather where this guy sacrificed two minor pieces for a queen on like move 12. And then spent the entire rest of the game proving the compensation. You know, I, I want people to want that. And, you know, I, I don't know how much room there is that in, for the, in the landscape today. That that, I really am an old man, Ben. Like, I am, like, shouting, get off my porch here, get yeah. off my lawn. Like, me and Jesse Cry are, like, kindred spirits. Although, Jesse <laughs> Cry, I mean, for all of his Luddite tendencies – man he has mastered these viral videos like the the one thing in chess you must do and then it ends up being right you know hand write your notes and you're like what <laughs> what yeah. that's not what i was but but he's doing it it's it's the landscape is changing man it's crazy
0: yeah it is and yeah then there's only there's only so much we we can do about it um the aforementioned friend of the pod, Christopher Sabri, I recorded a how to chess podcast, which you guys should all be subscribed to, even if you're not listening to it. Um, did did one on the importance of chess culture, um, so that's forthcoming in the next month to six weeks, but it definitely hits on that topic. Where like even if you're even if you're focused on improving your own game, uh, you first of all you can improve your own game by so, sort of appreciating the beauty of a capablanca, but also it just sort of like brought into your, your perspective. And that's why, uh, you know, I'm still doing book recaps like the one that just dropped as we record today about court's biography. Um, in addition to a lot of the sort of more improvement based stuff, because, uh, yeah, I mean, chess is a rich tapestry and there's no reason to focus on one uh, particular aspect of it. Although, I mean, everyone has limited time too. So, so, you know, more power to you, if you you pursue that which you find most compelling about the game, you know, just you know, pick and choose what what you like, and John might shake his head, but <laughs> such is, such is life. There are certainly no, I mean, worse. There are certainly worse things you could do with your time.
2: That's that that's you know. I think the the reality of it is that most of us have limited time, and we have to pick and choose. And yeah. you know, for me, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm tired of chess. <laughs> like like well, yeah. Anyway. I, You're been, also living it. Yeah, it's your yeah, job. It's, you... you know, it's crazy. Um, but so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just find like a, a limited thing that I can do that will help me um, play more beautiful games. Like I, at this point, certainly I want to win. I mean, certainly I want to, I want to crush people like a bug, Let, let's not, let's not pretend that's not true. But if I had to choose between winning dirty and like, you know, losing a beautiful game, I'm going to take losing the beautiful game. Like I, that's, that's just where I'm at in my life. And wow.
0: someday I hope I get there.
2: Uh, it's totally a lie, Ben. I'm pulling this <laughs> out of my tokens. Come on. Yeah. No, but I, I, like I, in my, in, you know, in my, and, and part of this might be, I haven't played over the board chess in 18 months, but, um, I, I want to think that so long as I do not make horrible mistakes, I will be happy to have played.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I want to get back to your game in a minute, and I know you're a longtime member of uh, Killer Chess Trainer training. Shout out to Yakaba and Company. Um, but first, uh, to finish up the book topic, we do have a Patreon mailbag question. Shout out to Alex Friedman. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Alex has been sending in some great questions lately, and I did prep you for this one because otherwise you'd be hemming and hawing for 15 minutes. No, um, actually, because...
2: actually the answer is the answer is simple.
0: The answer okay, is very well, simple. Let me. Okay. I'll ask the question, which is which chess book was the most helpful for your chess improvement? You can only pick one.
2: That would be chess steps number four. Okay. So um the chess steps for me, and I've talked about this on appearances before. Oh,
0: but nonetheless, you should say what they are yes. first. Uh
2: the chess steps or the stappen method are a series of uh teacher manuals and student workbooks from the Dutch chess federation. It's basically like a uh, how to get to, you know, someday, uh, how to get to 2100 or 2200 uh, in in like one prepackaged course. Um, my chess education was incredibly haphazard. Like most American players of my era, it was like whatever books I could find. And, um, you know, it was like Reinfeld's thousand and one checkmates and thousand and one tactics. And, whatever random strategy book I could find. And that was it. Um, the steps give you a very programmed way to look at chess positions. They give you a vocabulary for talking about chess positions. And for me, when I started going through it because I was frustrated with my game because I would make, and I still do, I, you know, stupid tactical blunders, like oversights. Either I would miss something or I would just let something happen. Um, this gave me a way to relearn to see the board. And it's really effective for kids, but I think it's actually uh, very effective as well for adults who just want to learn to see better. Um, so for me, the reason I say number four is steps two and three basically are like basic tactics where you have to see three ply, like uh, like a double attack, like you make a move, you attack two targets, and on the you know they do something, and then you win a piece or you go wherever you need to go. Um, step four is where it gets up to five ply, like you have to set up the tactic. And for me that was the most important book i've ever read because it really made me rethink how to think about tactics on a chessboard.
0: Yeah, i'm doing i'm doing step 5. I was you know, what's great about the step series and i think this is also true of the Yusupov series which i still haven't really dug into is that it's to the extent that it's possible it's kind of one step one stop shopping um so you know i was inspired by uh fm peter Gionato's adult improver interview like a lot of people were and i've as i mentioned many times calculation i think is one of the weaker part of my games at least for my you know level um and i you know i could have done exactly what peter recommended you know um perfect your chess because actually i'm at the level that he was at when he started it mm-hmm. but i still had this sort of nagging sense that there are just little holes in my game throughout that if I just work on these exact calculation problems might not get addressed. Whereas if I start with step five, which is actually below my level, um, you know, it's probably it's slated idea in theory for around 2000 level. But um, and this is 2000 USCF slash free day. Um, but. I knew that there would be things that I would miss and I am getting like 80 to 90%, but there's puzzles like stopping a past pawn, you know, taking advantage of a weak square. And I just, even though my calculation writ large, and there's calculation puzzles on top of that. So even though my calculation is what works, I had a lot of experience teaching the first three steps of manuals, but not a lot of experience above that. So anyway, I'm in the same boat as you. I do that and openings and that way, with the manuals, you're getting a little bit of everything. You're getting some end game, some tactics, some positional chess and obviously you still need to analyze your games as well But and nothing's perfect and if you look at you know, if Alex's question is like, what book that I have read or that you have read contributed to the most rating gain, that's not going to be it. Cause that's not what I'm, cause that's what I'm doing now. You know? Um, whereas and now I don't get better at chess or at least haven't lately. <laughs> it's, it's,
2: it's about stopping the bleeding. That's really, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I obviously we've showed for the chess steps method before and uh, will again. But yeah, I mean, there's so many little, just like diabolical creative puzzles. I mean, they must've put so much thought into like every single puzzle. Um, it, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. I, I did want to say um, Peter Gianatos is his book from new in chess. The, the new one, the, the puzzle, everyone's first workbook. I love it. I Excellent. Actually, yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, uh, I, if, if I were to have like a, a non-steps workbook that I could give to a student, and say, here, do all these puzzles and, and it will help you. I think that's a really, really solid choice for that sort of thing.
0: Uh, yeah. And as, as I mentioned uh, with, with Peter in that interview and, and on how to chess, um, it's, it's a great like gift. If you, if like a friend of yours is new to chess, knows the rules of checkmate and doesn't know what to do next. It's like a, it's like a great book for that level. Um, and similar to what we're talking about, if you're at a level where you might be past that, but you're worried one aspect of your game might be missing, like it's, it can be good to do that as review and then proceed forthwith from there.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be too down on the book publishing world because there are some really good books out there, you know, um, uh, rock McCoff's secrets of opening preparation from thinkers publishing. Um, you know, <laughs> Thinker's Publishing is very hit or miss. I I mean we just have, we have to be blunt. Um some of their books I think are not much more than databases turned into a book. Um this is not that. <laughs> this is a really interesting book that, you know, sort of gives you an insight into how a, a guy who plays in the Russian championship thinks about the opening. And and it's and thinks about it in terms of a world where, you know, everybody's booked up. And like, so how do you respond to that? You you play mm-hmm like weird little sidelines or you play the exchange Slav and, and you play it for a win. How do you do that? Um, fast. I mean, fascinating book. Um, you know, th- there's... Um, uh, well, th- there's all sorts of books. I shouldn't go into that. But the the Giannato's book is, is a really nice example of, of what you can still do. Like, I didn't think there was room in the marketplace for another tactics book. But there is. and And he created it. And I mean, I I hope it really does well.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. And of course, available on Chessable as well. Um, So John, I do want to bring it back to the, uh, your own work on your own game conversation, whether it be as an improver air quotes or not. Um, But first, we're going to take one more break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Good news, listeners. According to aimchess.com, I'm now only behind on the clock 75% of the time in my Blitz games. That's actually huge progress for me. I'm going to keep working to bring it up, and I recommend you use aimchess.com to address whatever weaknesses you may have in your game, whether it be playing with the white or black pieces, a particular opening, or a particular phase of the game. They give tailored lessons for whatever their algorithm detects. And of course, their algorithm scrapes the games from the major chess players sites themselves in order to tell you what you need if you decide to subscribe to AimChess.com after checking it out be sure to use the pr- promo code perpetual30 details are in the show notes check out aimchest.com Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by our old friends at Chessable.com. Hopefully you know by now about their proprietary move trainer technology that helps you remember tactical patterns as well as opening sequences. Whatever aspect of your game you're looking to work on, there is an excellent chance that Chessable has something for you to help they're also constantly releasing new courses in the pipeline currently they've got a lifetime repertoire 1e4 from none other than anish giri and they've got the ginger gm simon williams soon to release a treatment of legendary grandmaster alexi Shirao's fire on board plus so much more so just be sure to always go to chessable.com and take a look at what's new
1: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
0: And we are back. And John, we had left the conversation talking about both your work in Steps Books, and of course, sort of more generally, maybe an evolution to where you're you're less focused, or at least trying to be less judgmental about improvement, but of, of yourself that is. But I'll be judging um, about
2: everything. Don't
0: worry. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, I know you're as we mentioned a member of Killer Chess Training. Um, so how much time are you putting into your game and sort of how has your thinking evolved as you alluded to? Um,
2: this is a very difficult question because it's funny. Um, I, I feel very acutely the weight of having to be a decent chess player for my job.
0: Not, I feel that too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, not, not just in terms of like, you know, the, the, the face of it, like, Oh, the chess life editor is a potzer. Like, like <laughs> how does that sound? But, but in terms of, you know, doing the actual work, like I feel like I need to be a competent chess player and understand what's going on in the world and, and, you know, uh, be able to make sense of some pretty high level annotations that we get sometimes like Jakob Agard's uh, some of the things he's contributed to us. They're really tough. <laughs> so um, I, I take, I take the improvement question seriously. But as an adult with a six year old at home, and as someone who, you know, during the pandemic had a very serious health challenge, um, which, uh, you know, for those of you who do not follow me on Twitter, all two of you who are listening, uh, <laughs> I had a pretty significant thing happen to me. I was diagnosed with a very weird autoimmune problem where basically my for body forgot how to eat. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if it's fair to say I almost died, but it sure felt like that. Um, yeah, I have this weird thing called Achalasia. And so I had to have major surgery in the middle of a pandemic. And that kind of changed my perspective on this. Like, you know, I want to be a good chess player. It's important to me. Um, I also do not have the energy to do that. Like I, yeah. even now, you know, where I, Um, when this happened, the last time I was on this podcast, I probably weighed 230, 235 pounds, which was not great, but it's what I was. When I had surgery, I weighed 157 pounds. Wow. I mean, I wasted away and I still feel the effects of that sometimes. Um, you know, we all have limitations. So what does that mean for improvement? Um, it means I have to be less is more like, it it means I have to be smart about what I'm doing if I want to improve. So, for me, um I am doing, you know, a couple nights a week, um while we're watching TV or when I'm not watching TV, or I put my headphones on and I do problems in the steps books. Um what it means is that when I take my daughter to swim lessons, I take the 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 latest uh friendly chess homework from Killer Chess Training. And I take it with me and I solve puzzles. Um you know, I focus on my calculation I, I focus on tactics, uh, and then I also do some work on endgames, because that's a problem for me. I, I like to think I'm a good endgame player. The truth of the matter is I'm not. Other than that, um, and this is just in terms of like personal improvement stuff, because I'm looking at chess games every day for my job. Um, you know, I, I, I like games collections. So I have on my desk over there, I've got a chessboard out, and I've got uh, Botfinix Best Games. And I'm going to go through that. And if it takes me two years, I'm that's okay. Like I'm going to enjoy it and I'll get something out of it. And if it helps my chest, great. And if it doesn't, at least I'm enjoying it. That's, you know, that that's, that's what I can do. Um, And if it's not enough to beat the eight year olds, then it's not enough to be 8 year olds. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's only so much you can control. Um, I, a lot of that resonates with me. I mean, I'm putting in a bit of time, um, trying to do a little bit every day. I take a page from shout out to Neil Bruce, and you mm-hmm. know, ideally, I do an hour a day. But uh, and but some days it's 15 minutes, and that's fine. And um, and and
2: that's and that's the thing is that you know I think all of our fellow chess improvers need to, I think, remember is that. You do what you can do. And it's, it's great to build habits where you are doing these things every day, but if it's not possible, then just go easy on yourself because, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're living in a really twisted time in world history and we're just coming out of something that's been very traumatic for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, if you don't do your 15 minutes of tactics, do it tomorrow. You'll, 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 you'll get there.
0: Just, you know, take it easy. Yeah. Um, and you, you sent me a note where you'd, you'd learn something from Sam Shanklin's lectures in killer chess training. Well, yeah,
2: I mean, you know, look, I mean, we all have to do openings, right? Um, I have stopped for the, for, I have by and large stopped buying and uh, opening books. Um, and it's not because there's not good opening books out there. There are some excellent ones, but they're too much. Like I do not have time to go through 300 pages on anything. I, I don't. Um, so instead what I've really taken and, and, um, again, you know, when we say these things, like I've, I've talked about being a killer chess training member before I, I pay for this, like everybody else, I'm not getting any special treatment. I do sometimes do, uh, seminars for them on, uh, chess technology. So like chess engines and building a computer. That was one of my pandemic projects. Thank you to my wife for not killing me for spending way too much money on a chess computer, but I built one. you know but again i don't i don't get paid for that i like i'm i'm paying my money like everybody else uh shankland has done courses for killer chess which fundamentally changed the way that i think about opening study um and i think part of the problem like and, and may, i don't know maybe you have this problem too um like i would get uh opening files from my coach um well my my friend coach uh, John Watson, we would he would uh, he, he refused to let me pay him at, after a certain point, which I think was the most generous thing in the world. I don't know why he would waste his time with me like that, but he did. Uh, so he'd say, "All right, well, here, let's." I I, I did some work on this Nimzo line. Um, here, take a look at it, and maybe you want to play it. And I would look at it, and I would study it, and I would try to even you know do something resembling like like spaced repetition, and it just never stuck. Like it just, I, the ideas didn't make sense. The logic, the internal logic of of the various things did not make sense to me. And it wasn't because the file wasn't a good file. It was because I didn't make it like I didn't do the work to create the file. So what Shanklin does, and, and he referenced like he, you know, when you see him do this, he references chessable courses, he references books. So he's got these references in there, but basically what he does is he sits down with his incredibly overpowered remote computer. And then he just like builds chess files from scratch using the database and using uh, opening you know uh, opening books like in chess base or on Lee chess and things like that and he just sort of literally works through the theory. That was really impressive to me. Now I'm not going to build a 2,500 line database like Sam Shanklin has there is no reason for me to do that but what I can do is something like um, uh, I play classical Berlin lines not like the Berlin Endgame, but I play like the, you know, the Knight C6, uh, the Knight F6 and Bishop C5 lines. Um, What I can do is build out a framework like that and literally just build it by hand. And at the end of that, I'm going to understand it. I may not remember everything, but I'm going to understand it. And, and for me, like, that's the kind of opening study I want to do at this point. I want to learn it. And for me, you know, I mean, I, the opening books are a great reference. I just, I, I can't learn from them. Like I, 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 I can see the moves, but I can't somehow they don't like magically go in my head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so for me, I feel like maybe the way is just to do the work and, and, and just do it. And it's going to stink because it's going to take a lot of time, but you know, it, I, I can't say enough about his, his opening course for, for killer chess. It like, to watch one of the best prepared, best prepared players in the world, like build an opening file, it it I mean when I say it blew my mind, it literally blew my mind. Like I, if if you want to hear a little bit about what he said, he appeared on uh, cover stories with Chess Life a couple months ago.
0: Yeah, that was a good interview.
2: He talked a little bit about that, and you can sort of get a flavor of what he does. It's it's,
0: yeah, yeah. crazy cover stories with chess life we should say of course is uh one of us chess's uh monthly chess podcasts. they have four different podcasts that amount to being weekly um which you can subscribe to on separate feeds we have chess underground cover stories with chess life ladies night and dan lucas's which is called one move at a time thank you one move at a time um yeah so be sure to sub to sub to those as well um yeah, and I—I I mean, definitely, what you say in terms of like needing to understand the the opening repertoires, res- understand the moves. This is something that's come up fairly frequently. Uh, personally, I'm—I have no interest in building my own <laughs> repertoire. But one thing I have noticed is like it's striking in the modern engine and en- engine age how often like the best engine move is not the main line, you know, even for just us potzers looking at at a computer, it's it's shocking because that means if you just, like you have to decide between following what the engine says is the best move or following what all the grandmasters have played over time. And obviously with engines getting um, stronger than ever, um, I just before our interview saw someone quoting Daniel Dubov talking about how he can't believe how much stronger engines have gotten in just the past three years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a brave new world and sort of parallel to what we were talking about with like uh, chess publishing changing, like, you know, the, the rate of, ex, the rate of change is accelerating, I think in terms of how openings are being learned.
2: There, there are examples of this every week, like um, in the women's world cup, I think uh, Nana Zagnidze. Uh, she played uh, 5h6 I think I think that was her in an in an open Sicilian now mm-hmm. this is a move that like you know if you showed Spassky this or you showed Fisher this they'd they'd fall over laughing right I mean why would why you know th- this is not a, a move that classical chess logic likes but stockfish thinks it's okay and if stockfish thinks it's okay today you play it yeah. Um, or you know, an example from the Russian Championship that I, I, I um, this will be on Chess Life online by the time this podcast drops, but it'll also be a very abbreviated version in the December issue of Chess Life. There's a, a game from the Russian Championship with uh, by Nikita Vituvikov, I don't know that's how you pronounce his name, but it sounds right. Um, Where his opponent played like a near novelty in a Catalan sort of position on move eight and because stockfish likes the move Vituvikov was prepared for it all the way through move 23 hmm. i mean like th- this is where opening preparation is right now and and you know if you watch it you can almost even track it in terms of like when a new stockfish comes out suddenly new openings become viable again <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and you can see it in the top players like they they i mean you live and die by the engine it's 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 crazy you know for me that's why by the way like i kind of like the Botvinnik games Cause I'm going to go back and play these old openings that, that like make sense to humans. Cause I just, my brain doesn't work any other way. It, it's, I mean, my brain, not might might not work period, but uh, at least I have hope of playing some of these Nimzo lines, right. that are, you know, so sharp that the engine has to, has to show you everything. It, it's getting old sucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not easy.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Um, and John, of course you're also known for, as you alluded to in the presentations you've done for Killer Chess Training, your sort of knowledge of chess computers and chess engines. So, um, what changes should we be aware of in that landscape? I mean, I guess I'm sure you got the new Stockfish with, you know, without contempt and all that. Um, what, but. Any other new developments in chess technology?
2: Uh, well, I mean, you know, Stockfish, as as I think most people who follow it know, they've they've incorporated like a, a mini uh, neural network. So it's uh, the what used to be the handcrafted evaluation, like you know, trying to quantify what an open file is worth and trying to program that into a into a chess engine. They've gotten rid of just about all of that, and now uh, the engine's evaluation has been learned through data through Billions and billions of of computer evaluations. So by now, uh, Stockfish is like, you know, is now definitely by far the strongest engine that ever was, and it keeps getting better. Um, Leela is kind of stagnant. They have not really figured out how to improve it that much. So I think there's there may be a, a new revolution coming there. I just don't know when. Uh, certainly that, you know, Leela is still really important for top players to reference, but it's Stockfish has kind of gotten so good that they, I think, you know, if you have a laptop that just doesn't have a graphics card to run Leela, you're going to be okay. Um, and then the computer hardware race. I mean, my God, you know, <laughs> uh, you could go crazy trying to build a, a chess computer to to keep up with the the Sam Shanklins of the world. Um, and I, I did that a little bit. You can see it right back there where we can see each other. So yeah, my my not-such-a-big-beast, but kind-of-big-beast is, is sitting back there. And
0: But you said Sam Shanklin was using um, a cloud-based uh, engine? like Because well, uh, yeah, we'll, we should say for listeners, you can subscribe to like super-powered engines. Uh, like, I think Danish uh, was recently uh, signed to deal with Chessify, yeah. Yep. Which is, um,
2: uh, I mean, you know, Chessify, it, it, it can be expensive. I mean, you know, but at the same time, you're also getting access to much harder, much faster hardware than you could possibly build on your own. Um, top players today, some of them will use that. I think most of them, and I'm sure Geary is among these people, they have a computer stashed away somewhere in the world, like a, a really um, powerful computer that they can remotely access. So that's what Shanklin does, and that's what, uh, for example, uh, Maxime Vachier-Lagrave, who wrote our cover story for December, um, he oh, talks awesome. about. Yeah, he he, uh, he talks about how he got to St. Louis before the Sinkfield Cup. He got there like two weeks early. Um, and so some people might wonder, well, okay, if he's there by himself, how's he going to train? How's he going to get ready? And he says, well, okay, I've got remote access to my supercomputer and, you know, all I need is my laptop. Um,
0: so, it, but with Sam and with MVL, it's their own, they own these supercomputers? Yes. Or, oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, when I say supercomputer, I don't mean like, you know, like the, the kind of thing that like the U S government or the Chinese government owns that they're, you know, 80,000 CPUs and things like that. Um, but people are building really powerful machines with uh, the AMD Threadripper, which can get up to 64 cores and
0: can have too much computer speak, John, you got to slow it down for us. Uh... So a CPU, <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> a central processing unit is the thing that crunches the numbers. It's the thing that basically the engine uses to turn a position into something that it can evaluate and can find moves in. Um, It used to be that you would have one CPU in a computer. Now they've built computer chips that have multiple CPUs on them. So my computer back there has 16 cores built into its processing unit, which means that it can do 16 things at once, or it can devote 16 of those threads or 32 threads, depending on hyper threading, to the task. Uh, so right now, like this machine in the opening position, it looks at 23 or 24 million positions per second. Um, for a normal human being like me who, you know, it's, it's overkill. I do not need that kind of processing power except for my job. It helps. Um, for Sam Shanklin, that's not enough. (laughs) Yeah. Shanklin's got a much faster machine. Um, and I'm sure like Caruana has an even faster machine. Um, you know, that that's that's what these guys have to do. It's it's like a it's like a technological arms race and they just have to do it to keep up with each other.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And that's one of the reasons um I'm I mean, among a million others, but the world championship, I always feel like it's like a uh um it's a, uh, what's the word? It's like a barometer for the that moment in opening theory. Like, what, what are these guys going to play, you know, after they've gathered all of the, the brightest minds and, you know, most high-powered machines in the world trying to eke out some sort of edge or at least fertile ground for exploration? Um, you know, w- what will we see on the board uh, in one month from basically less than a month from when we record this.
2: And it's, here's a, it's a funny story about that, um, about Napomniachi and computers. Uh, so when he won the candidates, we got an email, like a, like a press release from a Russian computer firm um, in Skolkovo, I think it's called, it's, it's, it's like the, it's been explained to me as essentially like the, the Russian uh, Silicon Valley. And they are one of his sponsors. And so we got this, this press release saying, oh, you know, he he used our our supercomputer to do analysis for the candidates. And isn't that great? And so me being the computer nerd I am, I wrote them back and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Can you give me more details? And like I, I gave him a list of questions like, you know, how how powerful was the computer? Did you guys do custom coding to help him with it? What, what did it all look like? Um, and they said, oh, we'll get back to you. And then they said, "Yeah, we can't tell you anything, <laughs> because yeah, the sponsors don't want you to know." <laughs> and I was like, mm, "Okay." So he must have really had access to some powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Magnus is in exactly the same boat. I mean, you know, more they're they're probably contributing more to global warming than than <laughs> anyone uh, with all these computers running.
0: Yeah, it, it'll it'll be fascinating to see. So um, you and I both have been trying to line up coverage for the upcoming world championship. I'll, I'll have announcements on that soon. There's going to be some bonus perpetual chess podcast, but what, what does CLO have lined up?
2: Um, Yeah. So we Chess Life online. We sort of piloted this a little bit for uh, our U S championship coverage. And uh, what we've decided to do is try to have a guest annotator for every game or well in the world championship, it'll, it'll be for every game. Um, in the US championship, it was like a game of the day or a couple games of the day. And we have lined up some pretty interesting names, Uh, some players who, who might surprise you in terms of their willingness to write for us. So uh, I won't give any away because nothing is, you know, set in stone, but um, yeah, look to CLO for daily coverage of the world championship, including guest annotators by some of America's top players.
0: All right. Sounds excellent. Um, okay, and John, I think we've hit the major topics I wanted to. Um, anything else that that you have on your agenda?
2: Yeah, so I did want to make one announcement. And first of all, I I do want to sort of uh beg forgiveness from the listeners if I've been too ranty. Um, (laughs) you know, I got a lot of feelings and uh I I wanna I wanna share them with y'all. but um one thing that we're doing that's really cool that sort of came out of me looking at the chess publishing landscape and being frustrated, fl- frankly, um, is a joint venture with the Chess Journalists of America that should be announced by the time this pod drops. Um, what we're doing, for, for those who don't know, the Chess Journalists of America or the CJA uh, is basically like an asso- a trade association for people who write about chess or people who are somehow involved in chess publishing and uh they have a website they have had a journal in the past although uh that may not be true going forward just because um you know a website seems more pertinent uh they do some historical work so interviews with older players but one of the main things they do is is awards every year so um and you know this year we didn't get uh, best magazine but we did get the lion's share of the awards from this from the cj and i was very happy to, to have that happen um, We're going to start like a continuing education program with the CJA for chess journalists, anyone who is a CJA member, but also for U.S. chess state affiliates, because a lot of them have like a state magazine or a state website where they publish state news. Um, And we want to give them the tools to sort of take that to the next level. So we're going to be offering webinars on things like, um, I think I'm going to do the first one about like a style guide. And why a style guide is important, and how to work that into your editing process. Uh, we're going to have things about design, so like journal design, uh, design principles. Um, American Chess Magazine, by the way, has in principle agreed to join us in this venture. So uh, we're going to be getting you know as as many of the the top tier people we can to get involved with this. Uh, and the goal really is to help you know help anyone who wants to publish anything in chess do a better job of it but also maybe to grow the field of chess writers uh, which selfishly I would really like to see. Cause um, you know, that gives me more opportunity to hire people for chess life. Uh, so yeah, so that is coming and I'm really excited about it. I hope anyone who's listening still at this point uh, who has any interest will either sign up for the CJA um, or keep a look on their website because we uh, uh, will have announcements for that coming soon.
0: Okay. Excellent. Um, and uh, so by keep an then,
2: eye we also might do some stuff with podcasts for that by the way for people who are interested in podcasting
0: okay not not to um, compete
2: with you but just to you know do their own thing.
0: I approve um, <laughs> Awesome. All right so and people of course um, can follow you on Twitter um, I'm on the Twitter and- Hartman chess. Okay. And your email address is public as well, correct?
2: John.hartman at uschess.org.
0: Um, excellent. Okay. And John, it's been great to catch up. Glad to hear that US, US chess is uh, um, propelling forward as expected. Um, <laughs> That's that, where we're hurling ourselves into the future. I like <laughs> that. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, always good to uh, to talk chess with you, John.
2: Ben, as always, it's a pleasure, and uh, yeah, let's not wait another uh, two years for it to be number five, okay?
0: All right. Thanks, Ben. Perpetual Chess is proud to be a member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to check out their sports and pop culture related podcasts as well. I also, as always, would like to thank Matthew Passy for producing the show. Without Matthew, Perpetual Chess would not exist. And I want to thank everyone who listens to the show, whether it be on your own, without telling anyone about it, keeping it secret, or if you're helping to spread the word all the better, whether it be telling a friend about a particularly impactful interview or Whether it be writing a positive review online, all of that stuff helps get the word out and helps Perpetual Chess continue to grow. But most of all, of course, I want to thank those that provide financial support to Perpetual Chess. Without you all, Perpetual Chess would not be possible in its current form. And I would like to give... Uh, special thanks to the following people and entities. Here comes the list uh, Chessable.com, David Lazarus of Lazman Chess, coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adaptive Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porteau, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess. Center, the Chess Central's Chess Blog, Chessmood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Mitchell, I am Dimitri Schneider, Douglas Wilson, I am Eric Rosen, Farhan Tharwar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gulick, Hampus Axelson, James Kennedy. Jay Garrison, Jeff Martinson, Jeff Schaefer, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John MacArthur, Kevin Forsyth, Kevin Gilmore, Kevin O'Callaghan, Kevin Pryor, King Sell. The King's Crusher YouTube channel, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oplin, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Michael Sullivan, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerdnace Twitch channel, Perry McManus, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodip, Philip Flummins, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Ray Lillywhite, Reuven Fisher, Rick Rivas, Robert Hansen, Ross Crosslin, The Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Giersen, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group Wayne Beam, and I also would like to thank the following Hashtag ChessPunks, who are the adult improvers on Chess Twitter Ace Vallega, Adam Fowler, Adam Johansson, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz antonio cancino antonio leonfort fm andre Terakov, dr andrew perry angus mcleod barry hessian bill gruber bill juniper bill moran bill trammell brad and andy rosen brandon Halseed, brian chase brian mullis bruce scott bruno johnson brian tillis of palm beach chess cameron davis ken kabati chad hilton chad likens of Rose City Chess in Portland, the Chess Dojo, Chess for Charity, Jacksonville, Chess Pats of Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Best, Dave Saylor, david blaskatchek david brown david gores david hamblin david cramley david peterson dennis parrish fm Donnie ariel dwayne Edmonds, ed daly ed mead edwin rodriguez eric baldwin ethan smith evan rosenberg ewan richardson ian mason felipe mayo Pereira, fox valley chess club francis letard lavoie frank Tortoris md frank Zananis, gary andrews gary lewis gautam narula Gene Stewart, George Foote, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Gregory Higgins, Han Shu, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Parry, James Aspinwall, James Banastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jay Tuttle, Jay Deep Chakrabarti, Jeff Anderson, Jeff Davis, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Orland, Jerry Wells, jesse decumos jesse mcnulty jim jones jim ratliff jim sadler joe desano joe valdez Joel thomas ramos john mcadams john tully juan almaguar dr john fallon john fernandez john fontaine john hartman john jeffrey john mcmurtry jonathan bannister jonathan slater john quist john tully jose rodriguez justin gardner Justin Goodfellow, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Fridell, I am Kari Christensen, W.G.M. Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Reiforth, Lars Reisen, Macaulay Peterson, Maria Im- Emilianova, aka Photo Chess, Mark Chaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Buttolovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, matt ferrari matthew coughlin matthew tedesco of seattle chess meetup.org matthias plock mechanics institute chess club of san francisco michael allard michael hudson mike clem mitchell fabian nate gobel nate solon neil bruce negma malajanov nicholas isabel olaf Mueller, michaels pablo davila gm pascal charbonneau passy passan and paul bain Paul Clarkson, Paul Eckert, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, um, Randall Montgomery, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard McCormick, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Turner, Robert Wall, Robert Wilson, Rory Coleman, Ryan Berg, Samson teaches chess, Satyajit Malagu, the Say Chess YouTube channel and publishing empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Krauss, Sebastian Finsterwater, Sergey Makagon, Seth Ruzica, Seth Will, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights in Richmond, Simon Schmidt, Stefan Roller, Stephen Miller and Tom George, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Terry King, Thomas Brown, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tobias Rex, Tom Edsel, Tommy Farron, Tony rotella Tyron Price, Victor bosham William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, Zachary Hoskin, and Zivko Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone.